We have been participating in what we've called the Advent Conspiracy. And as part of the Advent Conspiracy, we said there are four basic things we want to do. The first one is we want to worship fully because we believe that's what Christmas is really about. Christmas is an invitation to worship God fully for the gift that he has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. There are lots of other things that can distract us from that purpose, but that's what, in essence, Christmas is, is God's people gathering together to worship him and to give him thanks for the gift he's given us. But we also said we wanted to spend less. Now, we didn't say you couldn't spend anything. We just said that the spending in America when it comes to Christmas has gotten a little bit out of control. And we said, what would happen if God's people just spent less on Christmas gifts and instead took what they would have spent on the excess of Christmas and gave to mission causes right here in the city and around the world? And as a church, we said this Christmas we want to give away $50,000 to local and international missions. And you guys have made a huge down payment on that already with your gifts. People are taking the ornaments on the tree, and it has been wonderful to see the way God is using that. And it will be great to see the way God continues to use that into the new year and into eternity as we take a little bit of money that we might have spent on sweaters that would have been returned anyway and invested in lives, in people who will benefit from that uh, for, for all, of, all of eternity. And then finally today, we want to talk about the last part of the conspiracy, and that is to love all, that we are called to love all people. And before we get into this one, I just had to ask myself a question. Is that really even possible? Is it possible to love all people? Because I don't know about you, but I have an awfully hard time with that one. That's a challenge. Jesus seemed to believe that we had the capacity to love even our enemies. So we know the Bible has something significant to say about how we can love even people who may not be loving towards us. Even people who may not be lovable. But how do we do it? The first place we learn to do it is in a family. As we celebrated Hamp's dedication this morning, I thought, how appropriate is that? Because you learn and experience love in a family. I remember when Sherry and I uh, first got married, you know, and you're all excited, your wedding day, and man, you're just, you're, you just feel like you're bursting with, with love and affection. And, and I remember in that moment, we thought, man, I thought, we don't even need to have kids because, man, I don't even know how I could love anybody as much as I love her. And, and then one day, a few years later, Sherry came home and said, hey, let's start a family. We had a baby. And then I thought, man, I don't know how I could ever love another child. I mean, you guys are probably experiencing that. I don't know how I could ever love another child, but we gave it a try and we had another one. And you know what I learned? Love multiplies. <laughs> love doesn't divide. It multiplies. The more objects we have to love, it seems the more love, the greater capacity we have to love. And so we kept having kids <laughs> until Sherry finally said, look, we can have as many as you want as long as you have the next one. So we stopped at four. But it wasn't because we feared a lack of capacity to love. We came to learn something, that, that love multiplies itself out. We also learned something else, that it's interesting. You're going to spend some time, maybe you'll spend some time with some family members you don't normally see around the holidays, and you find yourself loving people who are your family members, who if they weren't your family members, come on, let's be honest, you're in church, you probably wouldn't spend time with them. Come on, you don't, if, if they're with you, please don't say amen. <laughs> but, but, but we have family members like that. We have family members who, who try us. And you know what? We love them anyway, don't we? We love them anyway. 
We love them sincerely, we love them honestly, and in a family we learn how we love people despite the circumstances. Despite, we love people in spite of the way they treat us. We love people because that's what we're called to do. We experience that in family. But do we have the capacity to love beyond that? Here's what I've learned about myself. I do have the capacity to continue to love my family. I have the capacity, more capacity than I could have imagined to love them. But I have learned that I do not have an all-sufficient love. In myself, I can't love all people. I just can't do it. I mean, I'll try. But there are people that I don't know, that I'll never come to contact with, that I'll never understand their story, I'll never understand their background, and, and I am limited in my ability to love them because my love is not sufficient. But it's, it's, the problem is worse than that, because my love is, not only is it not sufficient, my love is also not efficient. What do I mean by that? That my love is not enough for any one person in my family. I can love my wife as best as I can. I can love my kids as best as I can. My love is not all they need. I can't be all things to them. Some of you struggle in family dynamics because that's what's going on. That you've got a husband who is, believes or the wife believes the husband is supposed to meet every need she has. And it never works, does it? Because you can't do it. Our... <laughs> You can sign up for marriage counseling after the service. (laughs) Because my love is not sufficient and my love is not efficient. And here's the problem with that, besides the obvious problem. The problem with that is that we then take our insufficiency in love and our inefficiency in love and we allow that to shape our image of who God is. That we create God in our own image. So therefore, because I cannot, I do not have the capacity to love everyone, because I do not have the capacity to love even one person sufficiently or efficiently enough, therefore God must also be unable to love sufficiently, to love efficiently. And this is the way that man has projected their image of God, not just in our current day and age, but throughout the millennium, from the very beginning of time until... Until God began to reveal himself to a very specific people. And the Old Testament records a very unique idea that God loves people. That was a radical departure from the the pagan religions in which Judaism was founded and was born. Even up into Greek and Roman mythology, you found that these gods used men for their entertainment and as pawns. Other dominant worldviews viewed God either as not existent at all, as some essence or being that was distant or separate from mankind, but love did not define who God was, and it certainly didn't define how God interacted with human beings. But what we learn in the Old Testament is that God pursues a love relationship with a man named Abram. And after Abram, God continues to pursue that love relationship with Abram's children and grandchildren and all the descendants in the nation of Israel. And so what you find is this group of people or this family discovers that God's love is efficient for them. That God's love rescues them and it saves them. But they still had a problem because while they believed God's love was efficient, they still didn't believe that God's love was sufficient. In other words, they believed that God's love was efficient enough for them, but it was not sufficient for the whole world. Therefore, God's love was only for people like them. You had to be a Jew. You had to be a descendant of Abraham. So God's love was efficient, but not sufficient. Guess what happened? 
Jesus showed up and everything changed. And God began to speak to his people and through his people through the life of Jesus a very different message about God's love. That Jesus broadened our understanding of God's love, teaching us that it was, in fact, sufficient for everyone That God loved the whole world, irregardless of whether you were born Jewish, whatever color your skin was, whatever language you spoke, however much or little money or resources you had, that love for all people, this was not a normal reaction in the first century world. People didn't believe that God loved everybody. God just loved the chosen, and Jesus began to change that. Christianity introduced the idea that every single human being had value and worth because God loves everyone. And so here's the truth I want you to to remember this Christmas as we consider God's invitation for us to love all. And that is before we can be able to do that, we must understand God's love, that God's love is sufficient and efficient. God's love is sufficient and efficient. And we find this revolutionary idea about God in one verse. A verse that probably changed the theology of mankind more than any verse ever written in any any ancient text and even in the entire Bible. One verse and you already know it. It's John 3.16. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see both ideas, the sufficiency of God's love and the efficiency of God's love in this one verse. For God so loved the world, sufficient. It's for everybody. It's universal. But you also see the efficiency of it. That whoever, those of you who memorized it in King James, whosoever believes in him. It's efficient. It's enough for those. It's the benefit of it is particular. So let's look at these one at a time. First, let's look at God's, the fact that God's love is sufficient, that God's love is universal. It is not reserved for any particular group of people, but when Jesus was sent to the world, it was to be an expression of God's love for everyone. We see this played out not just in John 3.16, which tells us about the arrival of Jesus, but we see it in his ministry. Consider this. As he's calling his disciples, just look at the 12 people that Jesus called. Here's just a few. He called a fisherman which would have been a common tradesman of that day and age, a tax collector who would have been hated by every Jew. He called a revolutionary, someone who was seeking to overthrow the Roman government. So you had somebody working for the government, a tax collector, and a revolutionary who was seeking to overthrow the same government. And he even called somebody who he knew from the beginning was going to betray him and hand him over to the officials, and he would be ultimately crucified. So you see the the sufficiency of God's love even in the people that he chose, but it goes beyond that. Because Jesus did something really, really countercultural. Jesus expressed God's love to women who in his day and age were considered property. Consider this. There was a foreign woman who came to him one time whose daughter was sick. And he, this woman came and begged Jesus, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus said, but wait a minute. I thought, I thought the benefits of God were only for the Jewish people. And this woman made a claim of faith and Jesus said, your faith has healed your daughter. 
And then there was another woman, a Samaritan woman, who had, who had been married four or five times. She was living with a man. She lived an adulterous lifestyle. And Jesus expressed love for, for this woman as well. There was a prostitute that Jesus expressed love for. All these people, not even just men and women, but people of all ages. One time, people were bringing children to Jesus. Little children were coming up to him. The disciples had decided that they needed to protect him from the kids, that that, that he was too important to waste his time with these young children. They tried to get the children to go away. And Jesus said, no, don't, don't send the children away. Let the children come to me. And then just a few chapters later, you see Jesus in the temple with the disciples. And there's an old widow woman who all she's got to put in the offering is one small coin. And Jesus points her out over all the other rich religious people and says, that woman has given more than anybody else. It didn't matter what, how old you were. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. It was all ages. It was all people. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. Everyone hated Zacchaeus. Jesus walked right into town, looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he came down and led him to the house. Jesus spent time with sinners and tax collectors, the mentally ill. On one occasion, there was a man who had been driven out of town. He lived in the cemetery. Jesus walked right into the cemetery. He healed that man. Lepers, grieving families, even in his parables. Jesus made the Samaritan, who was reviled and hated by the Jews, he made the Samaritan the hero. He made the younger brother who had squandered the father's riches. He made him the hero in the story. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And I got to imagine the people who were around him said, blessed? They're not blessed. They're poor. And they're poor because God hasn't blessed them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. God loves them just as much as he loves you rich people. He's not blessing them less. In fact, he is blessing them in a different way that you can't be blessed because of your wealth. Blessed are those who mourn. Wait, wait. Blessed are those who mourn? Yes, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who persecuted. Jesus' love was sufficient for everyone, even up to the very end of his life as he's dying on a cross and a criminal with a deathbed confession responds to Jesus. And Jesus says, I tell you today, You will be with me in paradise. Jesus loved everyone. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And we see in the ministry of Jesus that he did not discriminate against anyone. And he loves you. And he loves the person sitting to your left and to your right and to the person in front of you and behind you and to the person that you passed coming to church who you would never assume would even walk into a church. Jesus loves all of them. God's love is sufficient, but it's more than just sufficient. God's love is also efficient. What do I mean by that? I mean that the benefit of God's love is particular. The whosoevers. The whosoevers are the people who believe in Jesus. You see, God's love is available to everyone, but the benefit of God's love is particular to those who respond to God's love. It's scandalously simple. Some of you may have come to church today and and you don't know what it takes to get right with God. What do I have to do? How many times do I have to show up? Do I have to take communion? Do I have to be baptized? Do I have to join the choir or teach a Sunday school class? Do I have to put money in the offering plate? All of those things, Jesus would say, no, you don't have to do any of it. You believe in me. You trust in me. It's scandalous how simple it is. 
that God's love is sufficient for everyone, but the benefit is particular to those who would respond to God's love with their own love and belief and faith. And I can hear, I know some of you right now, this is your problem with Christianity. This is your objection because you immediately say, well, what about, and you fill in the blank. What about, and you say, people who never heard about Jesus. What about a a tribe in Africa or a group in Asia who've never heard? What about those people? Do you realize that, that there are two essential problems with this argument against the simple message of the gospel? The first one is this, that we only apply this criteria to spirituality. We don't apply it to any other field. Consider this with, for medicine, for example. Uh, penicillin, a discovery that revolutionized medicine around the planet. Penicillin can be available to everyone, but its benefit is particular to those who actually take it. And we understand that. We don't not believe in penicillin because everybody hasn't benefited from penicillin. We ask ourselves the question, has everyone ha- does everyone have access to penicillin? Or you fill in the blank. Or think about it in terms of education. We understand the benefit of education. We understand in the United States of America, we live in a country where we're blessed enough to be able to, any child can get an education. It's available to everyone. It is sufficient. But the benefit of that education is particular. It's particular to those who go to school, who learn. It's, it's per, the benefit of it is particular. This is the same thing we're saying about God's love, that the benefit of it was particular. But listen to how simple it was. Listen to a few examples. So Jesus, on one occasion, was preaching and teaching in a house. And the crowd was so great, you couldn't even get to Jesus. Uh, the house was completely surrounded. There were these four guys who had heard Jesus. They'd, they'd seen him heal people. They went and found a, the friend of theirs who was paralyzed. They loaded him up. They carried him to the house. They climbed up on the roof. They dug through the roof. They lowered their friend on a mat. And Jesus is watching this whole thing. He's amazed. He looks at this guy laying there. Doesn't say a word to the guy. Doesn't wait for the guy to say what he believes, what he thinks. He just looks up at the four four guys up there and says I hope you're going to pay for that no it's not what he said he looked up at those four guys and he said you know what their faith has made you well your sins are forgiven we don't even know what that guy believed about Jesus but that's how easy it was that Jesus seemed to go through his earthly existence telling people I love everyone and it is so easy to respond there was one time a woman who didn't even want to be seen by Jesus she had a medical condition she'd been sick for 12 years she's fighting her way through a crowd and she just thinks if I can just touch if I can just touch the edge of his garment I'll be healed So she makes her way through the crowd, pushing. She touches the edge of his garment. Jesus immediately senses that that power has gone out of him, the scripture says. The woman is healed. Jesus stops everything. It says, your faith has made you well. A woman who didn't even want to be seen by Jesus. A woman who was so ashamed of her situation, she she wouldn't even present herself to him. See, Jesus is constantly saying, my love is not only sufficient for everyone, it's efficient for those who would believe and who would respond. Now, let me just, as I conclude, let me just share this, an application with two different groups of people. And I'll let you sort out which group you're in, okay? I want to talk, first of all, how this truth applies to Christians 
And then I want to talk, for those of you who are here today who say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, I want to talk to you separately. So first, Christians. First of all, this. What the sufficiency of God's love means for you is this. The gospel elevates the value of all people everywhere, every time, and it means that we no longer have the right to withhold love from anyone based on our personal bias or another person's bad behavior. You do not have the right to withhold love from anyone because God does not withhold love from anyone. And whether it's based on a personal bias, a prejudice that you may have, or whether it's because you think their behavior has made them unworthy of God's love. Can I ask you this? Wasn't there a time in your life, Christian, and let me answer the question, yes, there was, when your behavior would have disqualified you from God's love. That's the message of the gospel, that God loved you anyway, that God loved you in spite of your bad behavior. I, I love the author, Philip Yancey. He uses this uh, illustration. He says, you know, when you're on earth and you see the mountains, the Himalayas and the valleys, you, you see the terrain and it looks like it's, it's so varied. But if you go to space, the earth looks like a smooth blue marble. That the difference between the mountains and the valleys is lost. Do you know that from the perspective of holiness, the difference between your bad behavior and the other person, the person next to you's bad behavior is irrelevant? There's no difference from the perspective of holiness. That, that we all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, my bad behavior didn't prevent me from receiving God's love. And the person that I perceive as being the worst sinner, their bad behavior doesn't prevent them from being a recipient and a beneficiary of God's love either. For you to fail to love others is to say that your standards are higher than God's. Are you willing to say that? Are you really willing to say That you are more discerning about who is worthy of love than God? When John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, no qualifiers in that, that God's love is sufficient. Listen to what John said in 1 John 4, verse 11. The same same guy who penned John 3.16, listen to what he said. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Did you get that? He knows you don't have the capacity to love another person. But if you have the love that God gives you do, love comes from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's pretty simple. Christian, you don't have the right to withhold love from anyone. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. And to love like Jesus means that we love those who are not always easy to love. And you've been practicing in your family for years. You just have to take the same, you just have to take the same principle and apply it outside of your family. Listen to what Jesus said. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. That you love the unlovable because that's what God's love is like. 
And then he goes on in Luke 6, verse 35 and 36, and he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Do you know why he calls you sons? Because sons look like their dads. And we never look more like God than when we are loving like God loves. And how, and how are, and, and he goes on and he says this, For he is, the, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. God's sufficient love means we don't have the right, Christian, to withhold love from anyone. God's efficient love means this. We need to identify who the whosoevers are that God has put in our life. Why has God put the whosoever in your life, in your path? God's God's love, God's efficient love comes through his church. It comes through you. How does God efficiently love the world in the year 2015 and into 2016? He loves the world through you as you become the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. See, that's the message, Christian. We've become heralds of the good news, just like the angels in the Christmas story. In Acts 1.8, we're told to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. The, Jesus told us before he left, he said, go make disciples of all nations. And we have been left with the message. That's God's efficient plan to love the world is through us, church. Romans 10, 14, and 15. How will they call, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There are people in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your schools, students, in your offices, who do not believe that God loves them. And the reason they do not believe that God loves them, loves them is because they have not experienced love from those who have been touched by the love of Christ. They are your whosoever. And God has put them in your path for a reason. That's what God's called us to do. Now, let me just talk to those of you who are in the room who might say, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, or I know I'm not a Christian, that God's love is sufficient and efficient for you as well. And here's what God's sufficient love for you means, that God's love has not been exhausted by the sins of other people. Some people believe that. They think because of their family of origin, they think because of the condition of our world, that surely God's love has been completely exhausted by now. The good news of the gospel is that God's love has not been exhausted. He has the capacity to love you. Here's the other part of the good news, that God's love has not been depleted by your own sin. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, No matter how bad the failure has been, you have not depleted God's love for you. God's love is sufficient. It is enough. But God's love is also efficient. Because he loves whosoever, you can be confident that God has a plan and a purpose for you. That his invitation of love has been extended to you through Jesus Christ. Because he loves whosoever, you are whosoever. You can be included. You have not been forgotten. God knows your name. The scripture says he knows the number of hairs on your head, that he has collected every tear you've ever cried in a bottle. God loves you. 
And he wants you to respond to that love by loving him in return. And Jesus said it's simple. You just believe. You just trust. One guy said, I want to do that. I I I believe, but help my unbelief. How many of you can relate to that? Because I can. I can relate to that. She said, it's okay. I can help you with that too. But you respond to his love. So here's what you need to know. Christian, non-Christian alike, here's what you need to know this Christmas about loving all people. First of all, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And in Christian, you might be saying, well, I do believe in Jesus. It's why I show up here all the time. Listen, maybe you believe in Jesus as a historic reality. Maybe you believe in him as a theological premise, but I'm inviting you to believe in the fact that his love is sufficient and efficient for all. I'm asking you to believe in John 3, 16, that there's nobody who's gone too far, nobody whose situation is too deep, that God's love is not deeper still and can reach them. Believe in Jesus Christ. This was the message of the first Christmas. As the angel appeared to Mary, she was challenged to believe. As the angel appeared to Joseph, he was challenged to believe. As the angels appeared to the shepherds, they were challenged to believe and respond. And the wise men, and they believed, and they went searching for Jesus, and they found him. The Bible says if you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. Believe in him. Seek after him. And then the second The second thing that we can all take away is do not be afraid. This is the message that the angel spoke to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to love others with the same abandon with which God has loved you. Do not be afraid that God's love will not be sufficient for you. Do not be afraid that God's love is not efficient for you. That somehow God's love will not be enough. Your wife's love will not be enough. Your husband's love will not be enough. Your children's love will not be enough. There is only one whose love is sufficient enough for the whole world and efficient enough to meet every need that you have. And his name is Jesus. And he invites whoever would believe in him to respond to that love. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. We're going to sing a song that talks about the deep love of God. And as we sing this song, I I want you to allow the words of the song just to penetrate your heart at Christmas. And to remember that it was at Christmas that God made that specifically clear. That he demonstrated his love for the whole world. But he also demonstrated it for the whosoever. Maybe today... Christian, you would come and you would kneel here at these steps and you would pray because you realize that you have been withholding love. That that you have put yourself in a position above God to say that you're more discerning about who deserves your love when God says, well, I love everybody. Listen to me, Christian, you need to repent. You need to repent of your prejudice, of your pride. And you need to come back before the God who took you when you were at your worst. And ask him to forgive you of that prejudice. Non-Christian, listen. God has made it abundantly clear to you, not, not only or even primarily through the birth of his son, but mainly through the death of his son, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he would demonstrate his love. Maybe you would come today and say, I want to respond. I want to respond to that love. 
Father, we come to you today and we're moved by the sufficiency of your love. Lord, we can't even imagine such capacity to love others. And so we come in awe of a love that would span not just the globe, but time and eternity. And love, we're, Lord, we're also in, in awe of the efficiency of your love. That I was a whosoever. All of us in this room are a whosoever. That you love us specifically. That the benefit of your love is particular. And Lord, your invitation is universal that we would respond. Lord, I pray today, whether it's by walking the aisle, whether it's by sitting right where they are, that someone here today would respond to that love with just even a mustard seed of faith. And we trust that you'll meet them. Overwhelm us, your church, with your love. Remind us that we are your expression of love to the world. And may we do it better and better that we would be called sons and daughters of God. For it is in the name of the one who loved us, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.